Second test at Lords. Believe it or not, probably a lot of people might not be aware of this, but actually Australia won this test by 43 runs. But the focus has been all about Johnny Bairstow. It's been all about the spirit of the game. Is there such a thing as the spirit of the game? Well, my argument is that when the Chapels took over Australian cricket in the 1970s, the spirit of the game disappeared with it. And I think the Australians have... um, yeah, uh, certainly I don't think they've played cricket in the last, well certainly in my lifetime, <laughs> in the spirit of the game, but they're certainly not the only ones. Now, Garth Galloway, cricket commentator we regularly have on the programme, was lucky enough to be at Lords over the last five days. He joins us out of London. Garth, good morning, welcome. Yeah, thanks Mark. Uh, at Waterloo Station, so I'm sorry if there's a bit of noise in the background, but we'll we'll do our best. Yeah, no, we, when you text me and said you were on Voxel, we jumped on Google and had a look at the uh, tube map just to find out where you were in London. I have <laughs> been on the tubes, but I've got to say I've never spent a long time to become f- completely familiar with them. Uh, Garth, is there such a thing as the spirit of the game in cricket anymore? Oh, there is. Um, you know, there is in the way some teams play it. I mean, I think we, we come back to the Australian thing. It's, it's quite interesting looking at the the writing about it today and you know, there are mixed views. There are criticisms of Bairstow for leaving his crease. Uh, and likewise, there are just as many uh, vehement uh, views which are pro-England and anti-Australia. There's a very good article in The Telegraph uh, written about how uh, the, the author believes that, you know, the spirit of cricket is not alive and well and that Australia breached it yet again yesterday. Uh, and I tend to I tend to agree with that. It, it, it seems all rather glib. We read Kawaja saying that, uh, they left it to the umpires, Pat Cummins saying they left it to the umpires and the umpires ruled them out. But of course, uh, the cricket is littered with uh, examples of where players uh, have been called back by captains, notwithstanding that an umpire has given them out. And, uh, you know, there's reference in uh, 2011 to a test between India and England when uh, M.S. Stoney called Ian Bell out, uh, back, having been given out in very similar circumstances. So technically... Of course, the batsman's out in terms of the spirit of the game. Was it in the spirit? Well, Tony called Bell, Bell back in 2011 in a, in a very good series. And uh, for me, I think it's very good of the Australians to say, look, we left it to the umpire. Um, you know, it, it's also, I thought about it, you know, when you watch uh, schoolboy cricket or, you know, really sort of bad cricket, you often see the wicketkeepers grabbing the ball and underarming it and trying to hit the stumps, you know, and it's an infuriating thing and, and I always think uh, pretty amateurish and ironically it's exactly what the Australians have done. So uh, they, they've, um, they've won the battle but lost the, you know, lost the war in, in many respects in terms of, of sportsmanship, I think. Yeah, the thing I struggle with is listening to a lot of former Australian captains and cricketers and listening to the team themselves talking about well, you know, that's the rules of the game. Yet the day before, Stark takes a catch, and I think it probably, you know, probably should have been given out. However, under the rules of the game, it was not deemed to be a catch, and therefore the umpires got it exactly right. But the Australians conveniently didn't want to apply the rules of the game to that incident, and I struggle with their complete and utter hypocrisy uh, from game to game, uh, we saw the sledging of Usman Kawaja, and I think I heard a number of Australians going, "Well, it's not within the spirit of the game." 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I don't think Australia understand the spirit of the game. They, they will take, um, and from what I've seen of them in my lifetime, uh, you know, any opportunity. I mean, I do remember in 74, uh, in the centenary test between England and Australia, uh, you know, a wonderful moment when Rod Marsh called Derek Randall back. And, you know, Randall, uh, Marsh, the Australian keeper, Randall, uh, the middle order batsman for England, and the ball dropped in front of Marsh. And Randall scored a, hundred, a big hundred in that game. And, and Marsh called him back, and it was revered as a great act of sportsmanship, Marsh saying that he didn't catch the ball, and of course they didn't have the technology in those days. I think if you look at the context of this again, and you think about the the, man, the, 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 man, the example I've given you, MS Dhoni and Ian Bell, and Dhoni calling back mm. Bell in 2011, Shane Warne was on the uh, TV at the time commentating, and he criticised India for um, seeking to dismiss the player in that way, uh, and said it was not within the spirit of the game and he should be recalled. So there you are, there's Australia's great uh, saying that in 2011, and I'm happy to share that, to share that view and stick with it. Yeah, look, um, Brendan McCullum's come under a little bit of criticism here for a bit of hypocrisy because clearly there was an incident back in 2006 when he was young. He was in the Black Caps. Um, he ran out Mataya Mularitharan, who had stepped yep. out of his crease to celebrate a century for Kumar Sankakara. But I think unlike the Australians, as Brendan got older um, and matured, he realised that it was dumb. He realised that, you know, given another opportunity, that he wouldn't have done it, and he apologised for it. But you'll never, ever hear an Australian apologise 10 years, 15, 20 years no, from now. No, no, and that is the difference. No, no I agree. And, and I read an article on Stuff with Interest, which I thought was just churlish about McCullum, you know, uh, referencing uh, three incidents, 2005, 2006 and 2009, and saying how ironic his comments are because of things he did. I mean, what that writer and everybody else who criticises him uh, in this context misses is he said in his comments to the media, you know, what I learned in playing the game for a long period of time is that these things don't sit well. Mm. He learned through his own experience. He was asked uh, you know, by the MCC uh, to make the Colin Cowdery spirit of cricket speech because of his sportsmanship. When he retired uh, from the game, as I said to you last time we spoke, Ed Smith, who is a wonderful writer, described him as singularly the greatest influence on the game since Bradman, and that's because uh, that he recognised his failings in playing the way he had. And that's the thing that those um, journalists who, who write these sort of uh, self-serving and, uh, and very brief uh, factors, uh, articles, which ignore the context of McCullum's comments. Uh, and, and that's the point that I think needs to be made. I also had to laugh, you know, we saw the World Test Championship against India and there was a lot of controversy over whether Cameron Green took a catch or not and most people felt it wasn't a catch. Uh, but they're more than happy to, you know, say, no, it is what it is. Yet again, I go back to the start catch, you know, given not out and suddenly they jump up and down and every former cricketer, you know, um, yeah, they, they, there's no consistency in their arguments. They just tend to sort of, um, you know, pick and choose based on what best suits the Australians. And I guess that's the thing that I struggle with. One of the other things, um, and look, it's probably a little bit sensitive, but when Philip Hughes passed away, um, I heard Michael Clark at the time give a eulogy and he talked very much about the spirit of the game and the importance of the spirit of the game. And... You know, I, I sort of 
feel, and, and, and look, it was a great speech, but I feel it's just sort of a little bit disingenuous now of just a little bit of lip service because uh, the Australians haven't taken any of that on board. I, 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 I don't think half the time they believe a word they say. Well, I think it's a really sad incident that occurred. And, um, you know, and Besto, so let, let's just be absolutely clear about this. The Australians were within the letter of the law. There's absolutely. No, there's no question about that. And, 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 you know, they're allowed to, to do it. What, what I think, um, you know, would have been within the spirit of the, of the game, would have been to say to Besto, look, because they said that he'd be going out of his crease. I mean, also, he's not trying to gain any advantage no. by doing that. It was the end of the he, over. He, he, if you, it was the end of the over. The umpires had turned away. They hadn't Correct. called over, but they had turned away. Uh, you saw Besto marking his crease again with his foot, and then he walks out to go and talk to Stokes, and they used that moment to run him out. Um, what, if they were really concerned about the fact that he was walking out of his crease, one of the things they could have done is said, look, if you keep doing it, we're going to shy at the stumps, and if we hit and you're out, you know, we're going to appeal. Then, then, then Besto's on, on notice. That's no different uh, it seems to me, to a bowler uh, running through, holding the ball and saying at the, at the non-striker's end, look, if you keep backing up a metre outside the crease, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. to run, run it out. Now, there have been examples. You and Chatfield, of course, famously ran out Derek Randall um, in the 1970s at, uh, at Christchurch, Lancaster Park, without warning him. Um, you know, and there was an awful lot yeah. of uh, media in relation to that, and not surprisingly... But, I, you know, I, I think, you would think, and it sounds cheerless, but uh, Broad and Co. would be well within their rights now to, to seek to man-cap people, to run batters out at the, at the non-strikers' end. The umpires would have to give them out, and if the Australians, as, as they would have it, uh, it would be, well, it's over to the umpire, and Cummins is not going to intervene, uh, you, you know, or it, it would, would not intervene on this occasion, so why would the England captain? Yeah, I, I mean, they won't do it because because Stokes will play the game within the spirit of the game. Yeah, but uh, look, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, if I was in charge, I'd bloody do exactly that and just turn around and go, hey, mate, you know, hey, if it's within the rules of the game, let the umpires decide. Uh, look, um, the other thing is, uh, you know, Stuart Broad uh, clearly gave um, Kerry a real serve out there and said, look, this is what you're going to be remembered for. Alex Carey, and yep. you know, there's been a lot of you know, and there's been a lot of articles on social media and uh, different fan websites calling, uh, calling, you know, referring, sorry, yeah, ref, referring um, to Stuart Broad as Stuart. I don't walk Broad. Going back to the incident back in 2019 <laughs> when he got a clearage, and I'm like, well, when was the last time? An Australian walked. When you know, when was the last time Adam Gilchrist always said that he walked? But Adam Gilchrist also behind the stumps was more than happy to appeal for catches that weren't. Uh, was also more than happy to go up and appeal for LBWs that were never really going to be given out LBW on the hope the umpire got it wrong. So I mean, it's it, it, it it's it's just an absolutely ridiculous the way the Australians, you know, the the classic bullies, very good at giving it, but just can't take it. Uh, well, I've, I've always shared that view, um, you know, and, and it was interesting being in the crowd yesterday. I mean, people who have been to Lords many times say that they've never uh, heard a crowd like it. I mean, the crowd were really riled and um, a, a lot of chanting. And it was a Sunday ticket, so a slightly different crowd to to usual possibly because the Sunday tickets uh, go on sale during the match, the last day of the test. 
and you know that might have been a slightly different crowd but even the members apparently um up in the pavilion uh were uh, booing the australians i don't mean inside when they walked through and that shouldn't have happened kawaja and warner should not have been subjected to abuse when they walked through the long room that is something that the mcc will take i'm sure um serious action about well, yeah three it, it, three, three, me- three, three yeah three members have been suspended yep yeah, and rightly so. And and I suspect that they, uh, if it's proven that they were abusing the players, I suspect they'll be kicked out of the club, and so they should be. But that's a different issue to the to, to the actual members up in the stand who were um, all feeling quite strongly about this and, and, and booing the Australians and so on. You know, Lords has has never seen a day like it. I don't think, and I'm 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 really informed by the, yeah. by people who have been there many many times. Yeah. The Australian fans though around us were utterly uh, vitriolic about it and and so unpleasant, swearing. Uh, this is when the dismissal took place. And as England got closer and closer and Broad and uh, Stokes looked like they had a chance of winning the game, they all packed up and left, which I thought was interesting. Mm. Oh, look, as I said, the, the only country in the world that can take Ned Kelly and Chopper Reed and make them national heroes, Garth. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the other thing I think that's interesting about the match is is where Test cricket is going, and I think it's worth worth just, just touching on. This, yeah, no, please, because uh, so, I was going to say, know, I mean, at the end of the day, you look at the engagement in the first Test, you look at the engagement, you cannot imagine how much engagement there's going to be in the third Test, and like it or not, it's two Kiwis at the centre of it: Ben Stokes, Brendan McCullum. Yeah, well, it's only three days away up in uh, at Headingley, and the Headingley crowd known for being uh, fairly spicy <laughs> and not holding back. So, so it, it'll be interesting. The series is uh, very much alive, um, alive and well. Although England fighting, you know, really fighting a losing battle, I suspect from being two 0 down. But I think that the point that struck me about it, the the second session yesterday uh, was incredibly dull. That first hour, as England, and, and and I do think it's slightly ironic that England talk about playing you know, so positively and so on, that they resort to the short pitch bowling, um, which if the Australians were not going to be baited by it, turns the game into a soporific, a soporific experience. It's just so dull. And that first hour after lunch was like that. And then we saw Green inexplicably, having been so disciplined, uh, swat <laughs> at a short ball and get out. And suddenly, you know, we saw Australia starting to fall apart under the short pitch delivery. We've seen England doing it in the first inning so badly, uh, batting so poorly for the short pitch delivery. And and I, I was just reflecting on where it leaves a player like James Anderson. So if the pitches are going to be reasonably flat as the first two have been, um, and there isn't swing and seam movement for a bowler, Anderson really doesn't have a place because he's simply not quick enough and, and unable to bowl You know that short pitch bowling. We saw fields set yesterday where there were... Uh, five or six players back on the boundary. At times when Stokes was on strike, every single Australian player was back on the boundary. Um, and you start to wonder uh, what is the future of the game if sides are simply going to resort to short pitch bowling. And, and look, it's, you know, this is a real thing. It's happening. New Zealand started it uh, under, ironically, McCullum with Wagner. Um, and it was effective in New Zealand conditions when things were very flat and not much else was happening. Other sides have adopted it. And, uh, you know, it makes for interesting viewing. But I, I think the game has to consider, you know, in terms of field placing, how many players back on the boundary are allowed mm. and so on. And I think it also means that, you know, different sort of bowlers are going to have to be used now if this is going to be continued. Yeah, and Neil Wagner will be playing till 50. Um, 
<laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, again, I mean, yeah, you can look at that. I mean, do you restrict the number of uh, short balls in an over even more? Uh, do you have to have a minimum requirement when it comes to the quality of a pitch? But then how do you manage that in the subcontinent? So... Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating one. The fact, though, that there's been so much controversy on this day, I'd imagine without the best issue, if England had lost this test, the media would have gone after McCullum and Stokes. This will be about Baz Ball, how irresponsible it is. We're 2-0 yep. down in the series. But I sense now this has just galvanised the English. This has just brought an entire nation together now. And even though they're down 2-0, we just want to win the third. We want to win the fourth. We just hate Australia. I think I, I think you're absolutely right, and um, I, I I do think that had well. And the interesting thing is that when Bearstow and Stokes were together, and the way that Bearstow started, you know, Australia to run him out on that way or to get him stumped in that way clearly thought that um, he was a threat. Otherwise, you know, they might have been a bit more spirited about it. Um, and I felt I felt that you know that, that ironically, uh, and looking back at how well board batted, they they must have had a chance of of winning it yesterday. I agree with you. I think that um, that you know, I mean, England's batting in the first innings was deplorable, and let's let's not make any mistake about that. We saw Root get out off a no ball, pulling a ball. We then saw him pulling another one and getting out. Uh, Duckett being caught down at long leg. Uh, Brook playing just one of the worst shots you'll ever see in Test cricket. Uh, and you know, and and I think that that, that there would then become that discussion around well, what is Baseball uh, named this this phrase that the media used, and I think the answer to that would be, you know, looking back on it, the, the idea was always to free up the England players' minds. Um, they had come when McCullum took over from a background of winning one in their last 17 Test matches, and he wanted to take the pressure off and to free them up. But that doesn't mean uh, I don't think he would ever, he would be the first to say that doesn't mean you just go out and play like an idiot. And I thought England batted so poorly in that first innings, and they were rightly criticised for it. Uh, Garth, I want to ask you this, because every time the television cameras switch to Brendan McCullum, clearly they're just sitting up there in the players' area, and he always looks fairly relaxed, and there's a conversation going, or he's watching it. Uh, we've, he always, every time you see him on TV, he seems sort of so jovial. Does the seri- Is there a really intense, serious side to Brendan McCullum in those situations? Like, does he finish the end of a day's play and sit the boys down and go, that's not good enough? Is there that side to Brendan McCullum? And how does that, um, yeah, how does that um, morph for Brendan McCullum? Um, look, I, I don't know what he does at the end of the day, and, and we don't get into discussions around that. What, what I know is he's as tough to teach, and... Um, He's competitive, and, and he'll want to win, and he'll do whatever he can uh, within the spirit of the game to win. Um, so I, I don't think he would sit down. Um, you know, he, 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 One of the things is he regards all of these people as adults, obviously, and they are. He's not one to sit and lecture and yell, I'm sure, and bang the tables and say, you've got to do better and so on. But I don't doubt that there will be discussions going on around how, uh, how to temper this, this, this desire to play with freedom. Um, you know, he's always looking for a way to win, and the way England batted in the first innings meant that they were they were unable to win this test. So uh, I, I don't doubt at all uh, that he is extremely serious, very motivated, and uh, desperately keen to try and get a result at uh, Henningley and then in the, the two remaining tests.
But he's not afraid at the same time in his own way and whatever communication style he uses to pull a player aside and say, look, uh, and I'll be blunt, not good enough, um, you need to be better. I'm absolutely sure that he's uh, he will be capable of doing that. And um, but, but, you know, again, in a, in a way that is not uh, condescending, you know, I mean, there are lots of different styles of coaches. And, I mean, the thing is, I think, uh, judging by the look on the English players, they will all know that they bat didn't do well enough and individuals, I'm sure, will have acknowledged that to the coach and to the coaching staff. Uh, so sometimes players don't need to be told. They can offer it themselves, Mark, and say, look, I'm sorry, I've got that wrong and I'm, I'm reflecting on it. You know, So it, 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 sometimes it shows even more insight from a player, in my view, when they pick up that rather than having to be told. Does Wood come into the England cricket team? Uh, probably, um, uh, you know, it, it depends. He had a cortisone injection on uh, Monday, I think, of um, last week, and he's, you know, he hasn't played any county cricket, as I understand it, uh, but he has been training with the team, and you know, I think that if ever there is a time for him to come in, uh, now is it. I mean, the problem's going to be that he's, he he may not be match fit. And, you know, they're going to rely on him running and involving short, fast fills. But I, I think they have to bring him in. And I think you'll probably see Anderson or Broad uh, rested. But it's difficult. England have got, you know, Archer is injured. A lot of their players are injured. So they don't have the resources that they thought they might have, uh, you know, when the series was being contemplated. OK, just finally, Garth, before we do let you go, have you bought any more art? I haven't bought any art. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm looking though. I'm off to the Tate Modern now. You can have a look at that on. Um, I'm very aware of the, the Tate Modern. Yes, I'm very aware of it. Well, an exhibition uh, of Hilma Klint and uh, Piet Mondrian, so a Swedish painter and a Dutch painter, and they've been put together. And interestingly, uh, Hilma Klint was born in 1872. Am I right in that? I think so. Eight, eight, sorry, 1862 and died in 1944. Uh, Mondrian was born in 1872 and died in 1944 as well. And yet, Clint, Clint, they're both abstract painters and they've been brought together in this exhibition, which I can't wait to see. And when Clint dies, uh, very little of her work was shown publicly when she was alive. And when she died, she she ordered in her will that the work should not be shown for 20 years. So it wasn't until uh, around 1970 that her family opened up this treasure trove of work and it's now been uh, revealed to the world. It's quite incredible. Some of it's been in New Zealand recently as well. So that should be fun. Send me some photos. <laughs> I will. You'll get your first one through in about half an hour. No, I appreciate it. Thank you, Garth. Enjoy London. Very envious. All right. All the best. Back soon. Cheers. Th-